Okay, okay, okay. Welcome back to another Jew and Gentile podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the Jewish sage himself, a Mr. Steve Herzig. How are you, Steve? Chris, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm looking forward to this weekend. We got a great weekend lined up. We've got we're Steve and I are taking the show on the road. We are going on the road. I can hardly wait if you're listening to this before Saturday. We want you to come to Winona Lake. And who knows, you could be part of our live audience. <laughs> our live audience at Winona Lake, Indiana, next to Grace Bible College and Seminary. Hold on a minute, Steve. Here we go. That's right. Welcome in. Welcome in. That You could be a part of a live audience, a studio audience of the Jew and Gentile podcast. Do you want to do that? Do you want to be a part of that? Well, listen, just make your way wherever you are. Make your way to uh, Warsaw, Indiana, Winona Lake, Indiana, uh, and there you can be a part of the Jew and Gentile podcast. We're going to be, Steve and I are both speaking um, at our National Prophecy Conference, which is all about the seven feasts of Israel, and we thought, hey, let's take this show on the road and do a live broadcast uh, of a live studio audience at our conference. Chris, I never thought I'd put the words together, studio audience and friends of Israel. <laughs> I never thought those words would ever come together. And you're a part of it. It's going to be amazing. Are you lining up the jokes that you want to say? Uh, it, being around, here's the th- it's you're funny because you are flexible. You do well in front of people. I feel like you shine when people are aye, around. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I think you you're you're a natural speaker in front of people because I remember when the pandemic came and you had to record your messages in front of a camera. Oh, it, it was horrible. I re- I remember thinking, where did Steve Herzig go? I had never. You've gotten used to it since then, but I remember thinking the first time I think we did it uh, for a Canadian conference, and I thought. That was not Steve Herzig, the Steve Herzig I know. It's it's awful. I, I have to have somebody I'm looking at, uh, as many as possible, actually. And, you know, I don't tell jokes. You th- I f- might be funny. I just tell reality. That no, that's My life is funny. Well, you have a, you have a good line about the the um, where you graduated. I graduated in the top 10% of the lower third of my class. <laughs> but that is a true statement. I know. It always I, makes I can't tell you I'm proud of it, but but <laughs> the good news is I went to a public high school that had mostly Jewish people in attendance. I, I graduated with a class of 1,200 people, and about 900 of them were Jewish. Were they really? Yes. Oh, I didn't so, know that. And so the first 500 went to Stanford, Harvard, Yale, you know, they... <laughs> So I did graduate in the top 10% of the lower third of my class, but every all those people, there are people who graduated in the middle who were going to Brown University or to uh, Yale. <laughs> By the time they got to me, uh, is there a state college around that will take this guy? <laughs> You're a Kent boy, aren't you? That's right, state college. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, um, you said 900 of the 1,200 were Jewish. So, I mean, that was a, I mean, you had like Yom Kippur off, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Actually, Rosh no, really, no, not back then. Back then, so I used to come back after Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, uh, for the the goyim who were there. The school was open. Most of the teachers were Jewish. They weren't there. So what do you do? I used to say, "What do you, they have school? What did you do during school?" You know what they said? Oh, we play cards. We these are the Gentiles. Yeah, we <laughs> played cards. The teacher played with us. <laughs> 
<laughs> we had movies. They brought in a, now back then we didn't have, you know, beta or uh, VHR. That, for, forget it. We didn't have, they actually got real to real movies <laughs> and they were watching, who knows, health movies or whatever. Nobody did. It, it was Everybody a vacation. Was doing nothing. There was exactly. a vacation, thanks to you. But then I guess you had off on Christmas and Easter. That's though. right. We and we we called it Christmas vacation. They don't do that anymore. That was the Jewish people were saying, "Hey, we're off for Christmas break." <laughs> Think about that. Nine hundred. I, I gotta know, say, I wasn't offended. It never bothered. Oh, Christmas! I know what I know what the goyim do at Christmas, and I know what I do on Christmas. We eat Chinese food and we go to the first run movie. <laughs> But I, with 900 of the 1,200 of your graduating class are Jewish, I mean, were you all in various, um, like, were some Reformed, some of them conservative, some of them Orthodox? Like, exactly. how did that work out? I yeah. went to an Orthodox synagogue, and hardly anybody went to that synagogue. There was a big synagogue. In fact, years ago, I wrote an article in Israel, My Glory, about it. it even had a picture of the conservative synagogue in the area that was the place to go. Uh, that was the place. Everybody went there, but we went to the Orthodox one. So, what? what why didn't you go? Is it because your family was Orthodox? Uh, you want to know the honest truth? I think I know. I can't. I, 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 the truth was, I got. I was four days a week instead of three days a week for less money. <laughs> so that's why you were Orthodox. That, well, that's one of the reasons that we went there, yeah. and. Uh, we went, I went Monday through Thursday, then we had Sunday school at, at this Orthodox synagogue. The conservative synagogue went three days a week, and they had Shabbat school. They had Shabbat school. I had Sunday school because the Orthodox wouldn't have a Shabbat school. You couldn't write or, you know, ride. The, it's Orthodox, so... Anyway, it was different. Oh, that's so interesting, Steve. Yeah, I, yeah to think that I, I you everybody know. was Jewish. Well, that, that, yeah, but that that the Christian was the minority in that in that class. I mean, that's amazing to think about. Or the I Gentile never, was the minority. The Gentile Christian. I never met a Christian until I went to college. At least I didn't know. To I've said that many times in giving my testimony that um, I thought of you're, you're Christian. You're I met Methodist, Baptist, Jehovah's Witness, Mormon. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a couple of those around, mm -hmm. but they're all the they were all the same to me. They that was Jesus. Yeah, uh, goyim. They were goyim. Uh, they were fine. I, I had friends who were goyim, but but basically Jewish. Everybody was Jewish. Well, all, all of this comes because Steve is a great speaker in front of people. So I'm excited to see him and me do a live in front of the studio audience podcast at our Winona Lake Conference. You can be a part of it by coming to our Seven Feasts of Israel, which I'm very excited to do, I Steve. think it's going to be great, yep. Chris, for us to park ourselves in Leviticus 23 and other passages in Exodus and New Testament. How is this relevant to a Christian today? Why Why as a Christian would I want to know about the Seven Feasts? That's the that's the fundamental question. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, you, you brought up a good point about parking ourselves in Leviticus chapter 23 and kind of getting to know the Seven Feasts, both the history of them, you know, maybe how they're practiced today by the Jewish people, but what they mean to us as well, because there is direct correlation in many ways to— the themes of the of the feasts of Israel, the redemptive themes of the feasts, and how they relate to our lives as well as Christians. And you might not be Jewish, but you don't realize how much Yom Kippur—that's what I'm teaching on 
Uh, Yom Kippur plays into the life of a Christian because of the sacrifice of Jesus, our once-for-all sacrifice. Or, or I'm also doing the Feast of Unleavened Bread and what it means to to be holy, uh, you know, and to desire to be holy like God. The fact that yeast and and leaven are are associated with sin, and God is calling us away from that lifestyle. So, you know, from Passover to all of the different feasts of Israel, they have a almost a unique spiritual connection to even if you're not Jewish. Uh, and maybe you don't even honor the feast, you don't realize how much they play a role in the redemptive themes that come from the New Testament as well. Well, we can give our listeners an assignment between now and Friday. They can go back to the Jew and the Gentile uh, podcast and go back. We went through the book of Leviticus. Yeah, We went through chapter 23. We went through the seven feasts, and we'll see if we were right. So whoever (laughs) you, we got different speakers. I'm doing Passover. You've already mentioned Yom Kippur. You're doing and you've got Passover. That's right. That's right. And your Friday night. So we have we have Jim Showers who's going to be there and a Mike Stollard and Dan Price. So they could check up on what we said and see what the other speakers say. And see how wrong we are. That's right, Bupkis, right? We got Bupkis. We got Bupkis. All right, so uh, anyway, we uh, please come on out. That's uh, this weekend, um, and uh, you can be a part of not only our National Prophecy Conference in Winona Lake, Indiana, beautiful Winona Lake, Indiana, but you can also be a part of a live studio audience of the Jew and Gentile podcast. Hey, um, really quick, uh, I want to mention, this is uh, the Jew and Gentile podcast is sponsored by FOI Equip. We have Basem Eid, Steve. Oh, is is this good? It's good. We had to pre-record Basem because he was in Uganda, but you still need to come out on Thursday night, July 21st. You can still register by going to foiequip.org. Yeah, we'll be live. We'll be live. <laughs> Me and you will be live. We'll be live. And then we're going to show the clips of uh, of Basem. We interviewed him. Oh, Steve, phenomenal. Phenomenal. That's right. Uh, nothing short. Uh Look, Bassem disagrees with us theologically. Uh, he's a liberal, uh, Islamic, Muslim, Palestinian. That's what he is. Uh, but he is for Israel. Mm-hmm. And he was, Chris, the thing that got to me is he was so passionate. He was leaning by the camera, getting closer to the camera to make his points to people who already agreed with him. If, if somebody would have heard him, they would have thought he was yelling at us, <laughs> upset. He was smiling while he was doing it. He was so passionate. I know. And we were right with him. We were right with him. It was a great time. You need to be a part of it. We're going to air that on July 21st, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. You can still register at foiequip.org. And we've got other great classes that are available. Actually, all of our classes through December are online right now at foiequip.org. And Steve, I have to mention this before we get started in John chapter 9, but all of these classes are free. Free, 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 free. No money down. No months to pay. That's right. One easy payment of nothing. That's Just right. show up, okay? All right, Steve, we are in John chapter 9. Well, Chris, we've been journeying through John with the seven uh, signs, the seven miracles. John is very specific as he's trying to uh, really throughout the book to convince people. It's obviously only the Spirit of God that draws people, but he's He's writing to demonstrate who Jesus is. And we've already done, uh, the went over his miracle, uh, turning water into wine in John chapter 2, uh, the nobleman's son in John chapter 4, 
the man healed at the pool of Bethesda in John 5, the feeding of the 5,000. Last week we uh, did feeding of the 5,000, or two weeks ago, and then the walking on the water, which we did last week. Mm -hmm. And today we're in John chapter 9, Chris, and this chapter of this miracle really speaks of the dynamic between the enemies of Christ and this person who is blind, uh, and the dynamic to me is, I, I see humor here. There's a line in here, Chris, that would do any Jewish comedian well, where he said, hey, you want to be his disciple too? They're mad, they're furious. This guy, he can't be of God, it's awful. Look, how could you, you, you weren't blind. I, I, I was blind. They bring in his parents. No, yeah. we don't know how he sees, but he was deaf. That's definitely our son. And they're ranting and raving. Says, hey, you want to be one of his disciples too? That is a classic <laughs> J- Jewish humor. It's classic. But let's, let's get back to the top where it's in verse one of chapter nine. It says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw. Chris, I got to tell you, uh, back in the day when newspapers were delivered, I always got a newspaper. I followed in my father's footsteps. Uh, husbands typically are shown years ago on on uh, comedies. You know, the man buried yep. in a in a newspaper. Yep. And the wife's talking to him. He never hears a word. That he, never hears a word. Oblivious. Same thing that happens when I you go looking for something in the cupboard. I go looking for something in the cupboard. I know a peanut butter. Okay, Alice. Where's the peanut butter? It's in the cupboard. I'm looking in the cupboard. There's nothing here. Okay, she walks in. Guess where the peanut butter is? In the cupboard. Where in the cupboard? I don't know. Where? Right in front of me. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Right in front of me. I, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. Or I didn't pay attention when I'm reading the newspaper. So here we are. Jesus is with his disciples. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they saw the man or just he saw the man. Mm. Great he, question. He saw the man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him. So you wonder, did he point him out? Oh, look at that man. Oh, okay. And then they they didn't know, even notice him. Why? Because typically beggars were around, just like we have beggars today, People who are down and out, we've seen them. You grow immune to them. Mm -hmm. You grow, they they don't register anymore. Uh, Maybe the first few times you see it uh, in in our country, like no other time in our history, we have people setting up shop in major cities who... Mm -hmm. Tent cities, tent cities. And people walk, business people walk by as if they, it's part of the, the way it is. Yeah. I wonder, it's just a question I have. It's not in the text. It just says, Jesus saw a man who was blind. His disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? Now, look at the first question they ask. You wonder, because back in um, Exodus chapter 34, it talks about sin being transferred from one generation to the next. Yep. That's what the text is. Um, and so the mentality of the disciples as Jewish people was, if there's somebody who has an imperfection, uh, something like that, something must have happened in his family. He's That's a, right. He's a sinner. And so he saw the man. Can I say this too? Because there's another passage they would go to, which is Ezekiel eighteen twenty. But there was also rabbinical stuff. And I thought this was interesting as I was preparing for the podcast today. 
um, there's a rabbinical passage, Steve, that says that um, in the same vein, that when a pregnant woman worshipped at a pagan temple, the unborn child would also commit idolatry, that the passing of, that was in the rabbinical text. Leave it to my people yeah. to say that. <laughs> that they would, They're blaming the baby. That's right. It's like the mom's there. She's worshiping, worshiping a, a, a pagan. Baby doesn't stand a chance. It's, that baby's there worshiping as well. So the, the infusion of the parents in, into the child happens even uh, as it's uh, in Amazing. its mother's womb. Amazing. So they're asking the question about who sinned. And Jesus' answer was, hey, this isn't about his sin. He, this is about my glory. Mm-hmm. This is about where his exact quote, the works of God should be revealed in him. Yeah. So the question is, uh, and boy, it's an interesting discussion. Does God make people imperfect uh, in order for him to get glory? Is that he make he specifically picked on that blind man? Uh, hey, you're going to be blind, so I could do this. Is that? I mean, uh, if that's in God's sovereign will, I mean, I can't say no to that. But I also know that those kind of imperfections come as a result of of sin in general as well which could be that whatever natural things happen because of sin god didn't intercede if this person was going to be born blind god allowed it to happen so that it the whole the whole idea of pinpointing somebody's sin oh and i'm not talking about drug takers or stuff like that just in the natural in the natural course of life in this sinful world, this fallen world, there is disease, there is imperfection, and so God allowed that to happen ultimately to bring glory to himself. So, yes, he allowed this person to be blind, but not because of his sin. He didn't do anything to get it, but then Jesus saw him. He just saw him. Ah, There might have been other beggars there, but he saw him, and he was the person that uh, was going to be healed. Could, could you say you would almost boil this down? You could say when they're asking, was it this guy or his parents? Are they saying, is it the, was he born this way from the very beginning? Or was this something that he did to himself because of bad choices or something like that? That over, could be or too. Life? No, that, that could be too. Um, but in this case, it had nothing to do with him. That's, and it almost seems like Jesus is drawing the attention of his dis- disciples. And I love that, you know, sometimes these seem like questions that the Pharisees or Sadducees would be asking. This was a question coming from his own disciples about this particular individual. 100%. And so he's speaking into the people who are following him, and, and he's saying to them, I don't think Jesus is brushing sin aside, but he's also saying you're missing the point of what I'm trying to accomplish here. And that's where that's a great segue to what Jesus says. Hey, specifically, he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Mm. I am the light of the world. So this guy is blind, but I'm shining. I am shining on him, and it has nothing to do with him, you know, <laughs> We like my people, especially my family, particularly. It's about him, mm-hmm. and, and in his case, it's righteous him. In our case, when we say it's all about me, me. <laughs> but in Jesus's case, it is about him. He's shining the light on a person who is in a bad way. Yeah. Oh, no, especially in that culture today, if a person's blind, it's not easy. But there's all kinds. Of, they don't have to be beggars. There are all kinds of 
things that can make the mainstream into the culture of being blind. But Jesus is focused. He said, I am the light of the world, and he's focused like a laser beam onto the situation. So when he had said these things, then it's what he's going to do. I, You know, Chris, I, I in also preparing for this, I had no idea that saliva in the first century was, in some cultures, had medicinal purpose. Oh, really? I did not know that. Uh, and so some people, but the rabbis frowned on it because it did have medicinal thing or aspects to it. So they regarded it as mysticism and therefore it was Banned. forbidden. Oh, interesting. So look what Jesus does. I mean, he, for the nobleman, what did he do? Bada bing, bada boom. Yeah, the guy's all the way in Capernaum. He's healed. It's done. He what? He's healed. Sayonara, go home. This guy, <laughs> this guy, he is. First of all, it's Shabbat. We don't know it from John. We know it from a, a, one of the other Gospels. We know that. So he's he's taking saliva. Oh, the Pharisees are going to freak out about that. Then he works. What does he do? He has to put his. Yeah, he's hands putting together. his mud. Yep. Oh, he's treading. He's he's. Farming. <laughs> I know that in the Dead Sea Scrolls, you weren't allowed to spit on Shabbat because the spit would, you could spit, it would roll in the dirt and picked up, pick up the dirt, and now you're moving dirt. You're plowing. You're plowing <laughs> with your spit. <laughs> there is another good one, too. I know this is getting off subject, but there is a law that you couldn't pick your nose. Oh, I know. <laughs> because you were plowing. You're plowing in your nose. <laughs> right, let's, too much information, but that's true. That's true. So he spit, he Again, the text here doesn't say it, but we know he he made the mud. He told him to put it on his eyes and to go to the pool of Siloam and to which which means scent, and he would be healed to wash in there. Well, he's breaking the Pharisees' laws left and right. And mm-hmm. remember, he's saying, "I am the light of the world." So, what do they focus on? They are focused on all the things. Sur- the this man just healed this blind man. Wouldn't you pay attention to what he's saying? And by the way, remember, his his uh, persona is everywhere. They already know who he is. This John is writing this. It's building, building, building. He did so many miracles. They know exactly who he is. Mm-hmm. He's adding to it. Each time he's adding to it, and the more evidence there is, the more Jesus heals, the madder and angrier and more frustrated the pharisees are yeah they're furious they're, they're, and we've talked about the fact too that you know how do you answer the question of jesus healing on the sabbath he's trying to show the pharisees the sadducees uh, mostly the pharisees that life this is saving a life and saving a life is more valuable than anything during the sabbath we've talked about that a hundred percent so in verse 13 they brought him before uh, who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. Now it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes, and the Pharisees asked him again how he had received his sight, and he said to them, he put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. The Pharisees said, this man is not from God. Look what you see now. How, how could you see now? He can't be from God. It, it's lunacy. <laughs> <laughs> this is crazy. Chris, it reminds me of... Our culture today, you could have something right in front of you. You name the issue. Uh, it, I'll give you an example. I don't, it, I'm not saying it because it's politics, just because of how crazy it is. We know our gas went up, right? Mm-hmm. Gas went up like crazy. 
there's differences of opinion as to who made that possible. The president of the United States said it was the war in um, Ukraine. In Ukraine that made it. Just recently, he's taken credit for the price to go down. Yeah. <laughs> he had, but the war is still going on. Yeah. So how did he manage to lower the price? It, 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 defi- it, it defies <laughs> logic. Wait a minute. The war brought this on. The war's still going on. The price goes up to $5. The war's still going on, but your gas is low. What? How did that happen? Yep. It's things right in front. Or uh, a woman isn't the only, a biological woman isn't the only one who could be pregnant. Yes. That's that's another one. Here the blind man sees. The blind man sees. And they're furious. (laughs) They're upset. You must, he can't be from God. This can't be from God. What? What? That's the whole, the whole Hope of the Messiah is the, one of the indications is he's going to do great and marvelous things. Here's a man again. This is number. This is number six, right? We have uh, John eleven. Yep, one more, yes. This is the sixth one. We know he did many. They are so blind. Mm-hmm. So, and that's the point of John here. They are so blind. Yeah, who's the one that sees and who's the one that's blind? And here? that's the whole purpose. Took the which is great. You just took the punchline of chapter. Sorry nine. about that. No, but that's <laughs> we did it at the beginning. That's that's the whole point. The people who can see deny, deny everything. The man who is blind, he didn't even know who he knew his name, but he never saw him. Jesus must have left because he goes off to the pool of Siloam. He never saw Jesus. Yep. He has to go and and find him, and they find each other, and. I'm the I'm the guy that yeah, you couldn't see him. Yeah, that's right. So he saw. Oh, you're. I want to believe. Yep. He had the right attitude. Can I say to this happens to the man when when Jesus takes the mud, puts it on his eyes. It probably happens somewhere around the temple. They're in Jerusalem. We know that for certain. It's the Sabbath. We know that for certain. And um, in Israel, they actually uncovered uh, between the the pool of Siloam and the Temple Mount. They've uncovered the Roman steps that oh, connect. I've been on those steps. It's amazing. Fantastic. They're underground. Fantastic. It's underground. And you know what comes to my mind as I'm walking down those steps uh, underground? Because it goes on forever and ever. I mean, it's all underground. It used to be open when it was in Jesus' day, but they've built over. You get right to the southern steps of the of the temple. Of the temple. It's and amazing. it's the ancient Roman steps that took them all the way down to the pool of uh, Siloam. And, you know, it's this guy that comes to my mind as he's walking down the steps and I'm thinking about the faith that he needed to put mud. Think about it. Some guy comes to you, puts some mud on your eyes, spits in it, puts mud. Now you go down there and you wash it off. That's a journey. It wasn't just like two steps. I bet you he fell a couple times. He probably fell. He had to believe without seeing and knowing that this is going to work. It could have been a magic trick to him, you know, or somebody could have just been fooling him the whole time. He went all the way down in faith knowing that when he puts that water from the pool on his eyes and washes that mud away, he's going to be healed. And that, to me, is a step. That is faith. That is what Jesus was looking for, was the belief that God's going to do this. He's going to heal you through me. I'm going to bring this. I'm going to heal you. And he walked all the way. And, and Steve, it's like uneven steps. It wasn't— 100%. It was, and I was, every time I would walk down that, I think, man, Lord, do I have the kind of faith 
to know that if you were to put mud on my eyes, I might have been like, ah, get out of here, you, you crazy guy. I've been blind my whole life or whatever the case might be. Um, but he walked all the way down and he did that and God healed him. But it was faith that made him walk down there as well. And all the time down through his faith, he had hope. Hope. Yeah. Hope. Yeah. Hope. He had something to hope for. He had, it, it could, he, he believed but you're right. What was going through his head? How many times did he fall? Did pe- were people making cracks at him as he's as he's walking? Imagine how he must have felt when he finally, you know, realized he's by the water and he can now put it on. It's it's amazing. Yeah. And then it's contrasted. And look, the Pharisees were zealous. Paul, I I, I want us to remember. Paul writes, "We're zealous." Speaking of the Jewish people, they are zealous passionate they are focused they are into it without knowledge Mm -hmm. without knowledge and that's the purpose that john is writing to demonstrate who he is trying to provide the knowledge this is you know we always say the gospels are tailor-made for specific groups of people john's for the world which includes jewish people as well these seven miracles the sixth one that we're talking about a blind man sees and you can see his faith and you could see his hope and you could see the blindness Mm. of the pharisees can we also go back for a moment to that concept of sin as well because jesus i don't think he wants to eliminate the 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 desperate need that we have as sinners for a savior but you know i think what he's trying to do is tell us that you know we can oftentimes nitpick about people's sins you know even before they come to know who jesus is we're nitpicking about sin this sin and that sin and which sins are greater than other sins but here jesus is saying you're you're missing you're missing the point it doesn't matter if this person was born into a bad family and it was something they inherited uh you know and um you know maybe their parents were drug addicts and he became a drug addict and it was something that was inherent that came down from the environment and all that or or maybe it was something of bad choices that that person had made the point that Jesus seems to show is I'm here to heal and that's not only just a physical healing of the blind man but a spiritual healing and you know what Jesus is trying to say you're uh, you're if if you're going to diminish this moment um, because you're trying to find out where the sin comes from, then you're gonna you're gonna remove the miracle that God can deliver anyone, and the glory goes to Him. And so, you know, I think sometimes we can become overwhelmed by individual sins. We might even be able to think that person could never come to Jesus because of how bad they are, or whatever the case might be. But here, Jesus seems to not diminish sin, but also say that His glory is greater than anybody's one sin. And I think that is a great example for the disciples. He's not saying that to the Pharisees. He's saying it to the disciples because they're going to become the apostles later on. 100%. And I don't want to miss that line that we started off with, Chris. Uh, In verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, that he was the Messiah, he would be put out of the synagogue. Chris, that was big. Mm-hmm. Being put out of the synagogue is not just, you can't go to the synagogue down the road, uh, you know, a different synagogue, oh, yeah, like a church. Oh, you don't want me here? I'll, I'll go there. That meant your job is gone. Community is gone. Yeah. You're on your own. And uh, so the parents said, he is of age, ask him. So they didn't want any part of it. 
So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know this man is a sinner. And I'm sure they said it clenched teeth. They're angry. And that's where the line is, uh, where he says, um, uh, he answered them, I told you already, you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become one of his disciples? <laughs> so what happened? They reviled him. They were so I think the blind man just figured, I'm in trouble anyway. They're yeah. not going to let me in the synagogue. I might as well give a jab while I can <laughs> because it's 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 actually beginning for me because I have eyes to see. I've never seen before, but now I, I'm... I'm out of the synagogue. He was never in the synagogue anyway because he was blind. He was probably not in part of the synagogue anyway. And you, it's interesting that earlier on, you, you, you often might think that the Jewish people were getting kicked out of the synagogues in Acts, you know, after the birth of the church. No, they were getting kicked out and persecuted even as disciples were following Jesus at that time. They knew that there would be persecution. There Jesus mentioned that. price to pay, Chris. And, you know, we think in the Jewish context, Chris, for many people, Maybe not in this country. There might be some. I know there's some. But around the world, isn't there a price to pay mm. for trusting Christ? Big time. Uh, one of the things that fascinated me at the very beginning, way back when I was considering the claims of Christ, is that I already knew from the New Testament, as I read it for the first time, that my mother, and it's right in the text, Christ can say, your, your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, they can hate you. Mm-hmm. They can. In my case, I knew it. They can hate you. They will hate you. Yeah, and and that's what Jesus said. They will hate you. Uh, okay, it's a, it's it's a pretty small price to pay in light of eternity. eternity yeah. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean it's easy, but it's a pretty light. Well, let's see. I remember making this choice. Chris, and some maybe some of our listeners have to make that choice. I know what God says. I got to believe in Jesus. I know what my parents say. Do that. You're in trouble. Who would I rather be angry at me? Mm-hmm. Who would I rather have angry? My parents? Bad news. <laughs> oh, you don't want them angry. Or God himself. Mm. You know, um, when you when you were talking about this, there are times, you know, do you ever see those statistics that come out about how people are falling away from the church or they don't want to go to church or you see a decline in in um, America's, uh, you know, relationship with the church. Americans, you know, they don't go to church anymore or whatever. There are all these The stat- nuns are taking over. And that, that's a category, N-O-N-E, the nuns. The nuns, yes. That is that is growing faster as, the, as Christians decline. That's right. But— the, you know, it's also one of those things where it's not like Jesus said, you're going to see this, you know, everybody's going to be coming. It, the church is often marked by persecution. It's marked by, be con- it's considered the narrow way. Yep. Everything else is the broad way. This is the narrow way. Yep. Uh, and, you know, it's always been that way. Um, and so, you know, you can get upset. I do, you know, of course you get upset because you want the gospel to go out. You want lives changed. But at the same time, the gospel has been offensive to people from the very beginning. From the very beginning. It's offensive to the Pharisees. Why? Because these this guy is, not only is he a sinner, he's sinning. Where did his sin come from? I don't care where his sin came from. It could come from his parents. It could have come from a bad choice that he made. But you know what? He's even sinning right now because he's 
healed on the Sabbath, you sinner. You, you know, the guy is healed on Sabbath. He's a sinner. You know, he can't, like you said, he can't win. That's offensive to them. And here's Jesus is trying to speak into that offensive moment. But you know what came to my mind was I was just reading this to my kids the other day. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul talks about the idea of our eyes being opened, not our physical eyes, but our spiritual eyes and what Jesus does to open our spiritual eyes. And 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 Paul writes this. He says in ver- chapter 1, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you when I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, will give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in your growing knowledge of him since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened so that you can know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is his incomparable greatness of his power toward us who's, who have believed displayed in the exercise of his immense strength. And you know, you just think about that powerful few verses there that Paul said about the eyes of our heart being enlightened by what Jesus did for us in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And you think about that blind man. Not only was he physically healed and could see, now his the eyes of his heart were open. He didn't fear those Pharisees anymore. He didn't fear, like you said, it's almost a joke. Like, oh, you want to be his disciple now too? He was enlightened uh, to the wisdom and understanding of what God was doing. And you know what? That's what our prayers, maybe you're not physically blind, but you can be spiritually blind as well. Chris, I think what you just said is really significant. We don't know who listens uh, to these podcasts, and we have a great time doing them. I, I I love doing them. But from time to time, we have to be serious, and this is one of those serious moments. The blind man had, did not have eyes to see, and Jesus Christ healed him both ways. Mm-hmm. The Pharisees had the eyes to see, and they couldn't see or wouldn't see or both. Mm-hmm. We're asking people, do you have eyes to see? And if you can't see that Jesus is the light of the world, maybe you ought to continue your search. You know what the text scripture says in Isaiah? His word doesn't return empty. We believe that by faith, mm-hmm. and that's our hope. And so our faith and hope is that a, a person who might not agree with us might search the scriptures and find him to be true. Amen. And you know what? It doesn't matter what your sin is. We're not. There's no judgment for what your sin is. There's only hope in the Lord Jesus that he can open the spiritual eyes of your heart, enlighten you to the wisdom of God by believing in him. And that's exactly what that blind man did. And we hope that you take steps of faith, if you've never done before, to turn to the Lord and say, I want to follow you, Lord Jesus. Open the eyes of my heart. Yeah, great, great. That's a great song. And I, I could see that man, as we described, stumbling down the road, focused in his mind only on getting to that water to wash the mud off of his eyes. And people making fun of him, but always burning within him is the hope, that hope, Mm -hmm. I'm going to get there. That's the way it is spiritually uh, for maybe one of the listeners we have today. That's what right. a time that would be. Oh, that's great. All right, well, Steve, we're going to move from our study. I hope you're all enjoying John. We're almost done our study on the we seven signs. We have one more to go. But we're going to take a break because next week is that live studio audience. We're taking it on the road, this Jew and Gentile podcast. it on the road. But, Steve, let's talk about what's happening in the news. All right, Chris, some really exciting news. It's kind of repeat uh, in the history of Israel, you know, 
Uh, there has been Ethiopians, that is, uh, black Jewish people, uh, and who have made the journey from Ethiopia to Israel. In fact, Chris, a number of years ago, we had uh, Ethiopian IDF, a gal who came yep. right to our chapel uh, back about eight, 2018 or 17 and described her journey, her parents' journey. She was very young. Where her father comes in, they were very poor and said, we're going home. Well, I thought we were. No, we're going home. And they had to travel miles by foot, miles and miles. And somebody had prophesied, I put in quotation marks, that a big bird was going to come and fly them back. And they saw the LL uh, LL jets. The 747s. The big that, birds. That, it, the stories that they, to, they told, and here is this Ethiopian IDF person of several years ago, uh, in Israel, an Israeli citizen. Well, I say that because the headline, uh, Rock of Israel, Ethiopians fly home to the Jewish state. Surviving war, famine, and the pandemic, Ethiopians make Aliyah to come to Israel. It hasn't stopped, Chris. No. 3,000 of them, according to this article. A hun- almost 100,000 Ethiopians have immigrated since 1948 um, to to Israel. Israel has opened their doors. Uh, you know, uh, we were reading about this in that Jerusalem Post article, which is linked in our show notes, but uh, there is the belief that the Ethiopians are uh, from the tribe of Dan. I guess during the Assyrian besiege of the northern ten tribes of Israel, Dan moved down into Jerusalem um, they were refugees and then eventually moved, I guess, into Ethiopia. Uh, you know, I don't know how verifiable that is, but they, you know, they've maintained the Ethiopian community, uh, Jewish community, maintained their Jewish identity throughout the years. They were persecuted greatly in Ethiopia. And so you see that they were actually able to make immigration uh, to Israel as far back as when Israel became a nation in 1948. Um, and one of the things I love, Steve, the connection to friends of Israel and the Ethiopians is we always take young adults over to Israel and we park ourselves in a city called Rehovot, which is just about 20 minutes, 25 minutes outside of Tel Aviv. Beautiful city, beautiful people there, but it is the largest uh, community of Ethiopians in in um, in Rehovot. And we do volunteer work there, sometimes at a hospital, most of the time at a hospital. We've been doing it for several years there. And we interact with the Ethiopian community while we're there. And I'm going to tell you something. It's amazing because I talk with the Ethiopian parents and they look like Ethiopians. You know, they have special, like these, like certain tattoos and the way they wear their jewelry and their clothes. It looks like Ethiopians, you know. Um, but then their kids, they look like Israelis. I mean, they're wearing jeans. They look, they got their headphones in. Many have kippa. They wear kippa. That's right. They're very religious. So anyway, the Ethiopian community is a thriving community in Israel. Um, and you can actually go on net, if you're a Netflix subscriber, they have a, sh- uh, they have a movie that they did about, bringing the Ethiopians out of Ethiopia and into Israel. It's called the Red Sea, Di- Red sea Diving Resort. It's actually a true story of how the Israelis were able to sneak into Ethiopia. They opened up this quote-unquote diving resort uh, under the noses of the Ethiopians, and they would smuggle in the Jewish people into there, into the diving resort, and then 
haul them out at night. Uh, and it's this amazing story of the IDF um, and a, and a move. It's a movie. It's a very very cool. Uh, some big stars did it too. So uh, Ben Kingsley, I think, was on it, and Chris Evans, who is uh, Captain America, was in in it as well. So just a cool movie if you want to kind of the history of Ethiopians immigrating to Israel. Well, in this article, there's a a gal named Robo Shabash. She's 86 years old. And Chris, we were just talking about that in reference to uh, John's gospel. But here's what she said. I always had hope. Yeah. It's, we're not talking in, the, in this sense spiritual, although in a way it, it, it is for some. They have this, uh, this calling, this, this call home, the call home to go back to Israel, home for them. And where did that come from? We believe, I believe, that the call of God had when he chose the Jewish people. There is a heart that beats amongst the Jewish people to go home. Mm-hmm. It's the, you can't explain the rebirth of Israel without talking about that. Nope. It's a part of who the Jewish people are, and it doesn't matter where they come from as well. Exactly. It beats They're in their coming heart. home. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, Great. So that that's the Ethiopians. Now that's Ethiopians going to Israel. Now we have Israelis going to other places of the world, and that's what this is all about. Well, Chris, I, I haven't held this very long. I, uh, <laughs> I've learned about this. Uh, let me just tell you the headline. This has all kinds of repercussions, and it is setting Twitter uh, a flutter. <laughs> Twitter a flutter. I like that. <laughs> Israeli TV network scolded by Saudis, and Israel and Saudi are, are building a strong relationship. Uh, scolded by Saudis, Israelis for defying Mecca ban on non-Muslims. Chris, what happened? There's a giant picture of this reporter. He looks like he's asleep at the wheel in this picture. <laughs> our, our, we, we have the access to this uh, in their uh, notes. But what happened? Okay, so, um, you know, is it, there's always that speculation that the Saudis are going to normalize relationships with Israel. And um, I believe there was some delegation uh, during the Biden visit of Israelis that uh, they that uh, a reporter was able to go to Saudi Arabia, an Israeli reporter in Saudi Arabia. It's a big deal. It's never happened before. You know, I think the Saudis gave permission for Israeli airplanes to fly over Saudi Arabia. Big deal. They're not moving to normalize everything just yet, but these little you know glimpses of things. Well, here this reporter Steve, his name's Gil. Tamari from uh, Channel 13, Israel's Channel 13 News, was over there and he got in a car and he started driving around Mecca and videotaping it. This now, is, I'm laughing. It's not funny. It's not funny. Like, the, this, I think he, I don't know if he was acting innocently or, or whatever, but I don't, he didn't jump out or do anything inappropriate. He's literally just in a car filming. Uh, he didn't get out and, like, you know, interview people on the streets or go to holy places. He's just driving. But, Mecca is holy in and of itself to the Muslim people, and no Muslims are allowed in that place. So, well, Chris, or non-Muslims. Chris, the Arab, Arab, the Arab, uh, Arabic hashtag, Jew in Haram. <laughs> Haram, sorry. Jew in the Haram. That's, that's the hashtag, the Arabic hashtag. That, this is an all-points bulletin. There's a Jew in Haram. That was Twitter that did that. Was that Twitter? You're yeah. saying it's... Yep. Isn't that funny that, you know, I, I don't want to get political, but Trump gets kicked off of Twitter. 
But the Saudis can write Jew in Haram, which is the most anti-Semitic thing, because it's trying to alert all Muslims. There's a Jew over here, everybody. There is a Jew. You know, let's identify him, root him out. Even, a, you know, a, a very friendly Jewish Muslims were offended by the fact that this guy, I mean, he's just driving around in the car taking he is, video. He, is pretty, he was pretty close to the mosque, to the Grand Mosque. Yes. And that is... No Jewish people are allowed. And what's funny is the paper or the channel, excuse me, uh, regardless, they said, but while the channel referred to Tamari's visit as an important journalistic accomplishment, <laughs> not, not a bad accomplishment, others, including Israel, have been less impressed slamming Tamari and the channel for disrespecting Muslim tradition. Ofra Lax, a, a religious Jewish-Israeli journalist, also slams Tamari, pointing out uh, his lack of sensitivity to religion. He, she, she says, respect of religion. So this is an Israeli, a, an ortho, a, a religious Israeli journalist says, uh, re, the respect of religion also begins with knowing and respecting your own religion, the religion of your own family, your people, your inner circle. Without that, you will never understand religious people. Without that, you will rudely stomp on other religions. Gil Tamari, what a disappointment. So even the Israelis are throwing this guy under the bus. But I would like to kind of, uh, angle this a little bit differently. Here's Gil Tamari. He goes to Mecca. He's videotaping himself in his car. So people can't really even see him. He's just in the car videotaping. But Jew in Haram. Jew, Jew in Haram. Haram. Get him out of here. Root him out. Um, but then, uh, if you think about the most holy site to the Jewish people, which is the Western Wall Complex, I think any Muslim could just march right on down there and say hello to whoever they want. They could videotape while they're there. They could do whatever they want down at the Western Wall, not harm somebody, but just be present, and nobody would bat an eye. As a Christian, non-Jewish Christian, I've walked to the Western Wall a dozen times, if not more, and nobody said a thing. I put a little kippah on as they asked me to. I respect them, walk right on down there, and there I am. I I pray for them. The only requirement to get to the wall, and I've been there numerous times, and it doesn't matter if you're ultra-Orthodox, it doesn't matter if you're a woman, if you're a man, you have to go through an inspection. They go through your purse, they go through metal detector, and they'll, as long as you do that, but everybody has to do that. Once you get through that metal detector, again, male or female, doesn't matter if you're, you say I'm Christian, you say I'm Jewish, you're dressed as a Hasidic, it doesn't make, kippa, no kippa, doesn't make any difference. That's right. Then open access. All are welcome. All are welcome. Mm-hmm. And, but it's funny because then if you go up to the Temple Mount and not you want. Not all are welcome. Nope, not all are welcome. You, you, I can't go into the Dome of the Rock, which is just, you know, a few, it's a hundred yards from you, the. You can if the imam for the day said, ah. I feel like a few Gentiles can come in. Oh, they they do that oh, now. From, it's entirely up to the imam. Okay, but still, there's a pro. Uh, oh, I can't just the walk Israel, in there. The Israelis oversee it militarily, but the policy in Israel is interesting. Uh, from the very time they took over and uh, uniting Jerusalem in 1967, was always to turn over to the religious group. They control it. Status quo. They control mm-hmm. all of it. So. I have been up on the Temple Mount before, but I've also been denied, not just me personally, a group. Uh, Oh, yeah, it's open. And there are people who wait, get up early in the morning, they wait in line, 
And I've talked to them. After waiting three hours, they I, Imam decide, nope, not today. Yep. And nobody gets Shut to it go. down. And it's it's crazy. Yep. You don't know. You, you're trying to tour. It's, it's not that way. It's not that way in Israel. No. They have a different approach to how people come to the holy sites. You can film it. You can do whatever you want. On Shabbat, you can't. You can't bring your camera down there, but on normal days, you can bring your, anybody can go down, but totally different from this man's experience in a car with his camera on defy the Jewish guy defiling Mecca uh, as the journalist. But either way, speaking of defiling, I know speaking of, let's talk about our Yiddish word of the day. I have to be careful, Chris, (laughs) because actually we should tell them the story. You, you are trying to describe what is it when you have, what is it when it's something you don't want on your mouth? It, 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 a kid has it on his mouth and you want to get it off and it's this. Why well, is a spiel or a, sh- said, a sh- schlamazel? <laughs> and I said, schmutz. Schmutz, that's it. That's the word, schmutz. Yiddish word of the day, everybody, is schmutz. And we chose schmutz for a reason. Because part of the definition, you could look it up because we did. In the Yiddish, mud falls under the definition of schmutz. The schmutz. You want to get the schmutz off your kid's face. Something unsightly on your face. It's a substance, you know, like if you have food with with your nose stuff all mixed, that's schmutz. Let's get the schmutz off. I need a a cloth, a washcloth to get that off. I still go up to Levi. He's young enough still. He's five, where if he's got some schmutz on his face, I lick my finger and I... (laughs) Get it off his you face. You use your saliva. You're in the mysticism. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, I'm getting the schmutz off with my saliva. <laughs> Medicinal purpose. That's right. The schmutz. Getting the schmutz off. But we have to be careful because there are there are angled, there are words that are very closely. As- it's schmutz. Make schmutz. Let's make sure we don't mispronounce yeah, it. Yeah, if we add one syllable, uh, all of a sudden we are in a I totally don't go different anywhere. category. That's right. <laughs> it's it's the unsightly stuff on little kids usually, but uh, it's definitely part of the. If on a Yiddish dictionary, mud would fall into that category. Mud was used by the Lord Jesus. The blind man went to the pool of Siloam. And he was healed. What can wash away my schmutz? Nothing but the schmutz. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He takes care of all the schmutz in our life, you know? His blood cleanses us from all schmutz. All schmutz. That's great. Well, everybody, listen. Are you coming? Are you coming to our live uh, studio audience broadcast of the Jew and Gentile podcast? You need to be there. Don't waste any time. Get in your car right now. You can start going to Winona Lake, Indiana. Uh, that's right next to Warsaw, Indiana. It's a beautiful town. You can join us. And if not, that's fine. You can listen online. You can hear the audience. We're really looking forward to all of our friends that are going to be joining us at the Jew and Gentile podcast for the National Conference of the Friends of Israel, our seven feasts of Israel. If you're interested in that, you can go to foi.org org to find out how you can be a part of the seven feasts of israel and the jew and gentile podcast the live studio audience but also don't forget to visit foiequip.org hey just register for all the classes while you're there all of them till december get on there thanks for joining us we'll see you next week